All right, I'd like to call the November 14th, 2022 regular meeting of the Shoreline City Council to order. Will you please join me in the flag salute? I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, Indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you. Will the clerk please call the roll? Mayor Scully. Present. Deputy Mayor Robertson. Here. Councilmember Ramsdale. Present. Councilmember McConnell. <coughs> Councilmember Mark. Present. Councilmember Poby. Here. Councilmember Roberts. Here. All right, so I'd like to proclaim that today is America Recycles Day in keeping with our uh, hybrid format with no one here to receive the proclamation. I'm not going to read it. So next up is approval of the agenda. Are there any requested changes to the proposed agenda? Seeing none, the agenda is adopted unanimously. And next up is the report of the city manager, Mr. Norris. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Great. Uh, good evening, Council. I'd like to start tonight with an update on Shoreline Proposition Number 1 and say thank you to Shoreline voters for approving this proposition. As of November 12th, over 60% of voters approved the maintenance and operations levy the lift. Approval of Proposition 1 will help fund police and neighborhood services, including radar and crime prevention, preserve parks, trails, playgrounds, and playfields, and provide for human services in Shoreline. Proposition uh, will help maintain the level of services uh, residents have come to expect and allow for the city to create an even more robust system of support for individuals in our community who are experiencing behavioral health crisis. And so while um, Proposition 1 is currently passing, we are continuing to follow election results. The election will not be formally certified until November 29th, but do feel uh, confident at this point that the proposition has been approved. You can visit uh, shorelinewa.gov slash prop1 to learn more about this proposition to see the original design concepts. Um, all right. Next slide, please. Um, and as we're starting uh, the holiday season here, the cities of Bothell, Kenmore, Lake Forest Park, and Shoreline are partnering again this year to celebrate communities shining bright with the uh, 2022 Winter Porch Light Parade. From December 1st to the 31st, we invite the community to create light displays that will become part of a virtual map, marking the many holidays and traditions celebrated during the winter season. And participants are encouraged to get creative with their displays, including the type of spaces that can be decorated from porches to patios, balconies to banisters, windows, or even cars. Anyone can participate to help transform North King County into magical wonderland of lights. So registration for this is free when there's an optional competition for those who would like to participate. And you can register your display at the webpage noted here on the slide. And the virtual map will go live at that site on December 1st. And so look forward to seeing all of those winter, winter lights in the coming weeks. And in more holiday news, uh, you can start your gift shopping with the stroll through a unique holiday market here at City Hall. This annual event brings over 80 local juried artisans, food vendors, live music, craft demonstrations, and more to one open-air location. Uh, it's located in the bottom level of the City Hall parking garage, and the holiday market is a perfect opportunity to find handcrafted gifts. Uh, the event is hosted by Shore Lake Arts, Shoreline Farmers Market, and the City of Shoreline, and there's complimentary parking and a shuttle is available at Brotherton Cadillac, which is located Cross Aurora at 17545 Aurora Avenue North. And for more information 
uh, about the underground holiday market, you can go to shorelakearts.org slash holiday markets. Uh, and on Saturday, November 19th at 10 a.m., you can join Volunteer Walk Leader Dan for a Shoreline Walks event through the Ridgecrest and North City neighborhoods. Uh, the Shoreline Walks program is a free and uh, designed for adults, ages 50 plus, but is open to all ages and abilities. There's no need to sign up. You can just show up at Ridgecrest Elementary School back parking lot on Saturday at 10 a.m. And to learn more about this uh, walk and other uh, w future walks, you can go to shoreline uh, shorelinewa.gov forward slash shoreline walks. And finally, tonight, just a few public reminders. From November 17th through the 19th, members of the City Council will attend the La National League of Cities Summit Conference, which I believe this year is in Kansas City. Uh, and the Planning Commission will hold a hybrid meeting on Thursday, November 17th at 7 p.m. in the Council Chamber and online via Zoom. And the agenda includes cottage housing development code amendments. And for more information on city meetings and events, you can visit shorelinewa.gov slash calendar. Mayor, that's all I have tonight. Thank you, Mr. Norris. And uh, Councilmember McConnell joined us at about 7.02. Next up are council reports. Are there any council reports this evening? All right, Councilmember uh, Mork Roberts and I attended the Shoreline Veterans Day celebration this last Friday. And other than that, I don't have anything. Next up is public comment. This is an opportunity for members of the public to address us on any item on the agenda or any item of concern. With one exception tonight, we have a quasi-judicial item on the agenda, which is item 9B. The quasi-judicial item requires us to consider only the record that is developed before the hearing examiner, so we're not able to take additional comments on item 9B. Otherwise, uh, in anything of city concern is fair game. We have four people signed up remotely, and I don't believe we have anyone in person. Each person gets three minutes. We ask that you begin your comments with your name and city of residence. And whenever you're ready, Mr. Jackson. Okay, so our first speaker is Michelle Thomas. Hi, um, I'm Michelle Thomas with the Washington Low Income Housing Alliance, and um, it looks like I can't turn my camera on, so I'm sorry about that. I'm not sure if um, that's something I can fix, but I'll just go ahead. Um, so I'm with the Washington Low Income Housing Alliance. Thank you very much for taking my comment tonight. I'm here to provide public input on your draft 2023 legislative priorities. I'd like to thank you for lifting up and including support for affordable housing, homelessness and tenant protections. In order for your city, the broader region and the state to make progress on preventing and ending homelessness, we need better collaboration between the state and local governments. And we need investments and strategies passed by the state to be embraced, utilized and put to good use locally. No level of state government can solve for these issues alone, but it's critical and commendable that the city of Sherline is supposed to intentionally encourage the state government to do more to advance affordable housing, to protect tenants, and to end homelessness. I do recommend, though, that you add explicit support for state budget investments that will build affordable housing and that will invest in homelessness prevention. But I want to thank you for including tenant protections explicitly in your draft agenda. Tenant protections are critical to ensuring housing stability and preventing homelessness. Renters are facing steep rent increases that make keeping a roof over their heads harder every day. People are grappling with impossible choices between paying the rent and paying for medication, childcare, or healthy food. 
Middle income renters are increasingly unable to save for a down payment on a home, while renters living off of Social Security are unable to find any housing within reach, leaving seniors and people with disabilities in very precarious situations and one step away from homelessness. Thank you again for including these important things in your draft agenda, but please know that local action must also accompany anything that the state does. Local tenant protections can provide more precise support to your local renters and fill gaps that the state leaves out. So thank you so much. Thank you, Ms. Thomas. And we actually disable the cameras just so there's a, you know, something inadvertent doesn't happen. Um, whoever's next, Ms. Someone check next. Okay, next <clears throat> is Heidi Shepard. Okay, here we are. Good evening, Mayor Scully and council members. Uh, I'm, my name is Heidi Shepard, and I'm a longtime resident of Shoreline. Tonight, you are discussing the two, 2023 state legislative priorities, and NUSA would like to highlight one of the proposed supporting legislative issues, which states, legislation that addresses homelessness and increases equitable access to housing through such actions as measures that strengthen and better enforce statewide renter protections, as well as incentives and support local efforts to accommodate additional housing development, including affordable housing. There are several extremely significant issues embedded here that are all interconnected. Housing, affordable housing, renter protections, and homelessness. Our area and all of North King County is in need of more housing options, as you know, in all areas, and is also in need of deeply affordable housing uh, beyond 80% AMI, and we know that keeping people housed is the first step toward avoiding more homelessness. Median rents in cities across King County have risen 20 to 30% since the pandemic began, and households unable to pay for significant rent increases face a tight rental market and few options, making it necessary to either move far north from their community and support networks or forced into homelessness. In North King County, rents are also increasing fast and evictions are trending up. Median rents in Shoreline rose by almost 15% between July 2021 and July 2022. This is a $250 jump from about $1,650 per month now to about $1,900. This increase is significantly higher than inflation and is much faster than wage growth. And as I've shared before, a $100 increase in median rent is associated with a 9% increase in the estimated homelessness rate, according to the U.S. Government Accountability Office. Eviction prevention is a basic preventative measure for avoiding additional and unnecessary homelessness, and fair, reasonable tenant protections are essential. Thank you. Thank you for including renter protections as a priority and furthermore highlighting the need to strengthen enforcement. State support through comprehensive oversight and enforcement is critical to the, excess, to the success of eviction prevention measures and helps ease the burden locally. As Shoreline City Council begins to develop its 2023 work plan, we hope that you will join other cities throughout the county, including Kenmore up the road, in adopting eviction prevention measures that are basic and fair for all involved. Stay house, stay healthy, model. 
Thank you, Ms. Shepard. You're welcome. Okay, so the last two people signed up have comments related to the public hearing, so I'll call on them later on the evening under um, item 8A. All right. Thank you, which brings us to our first action item, our only act, consent calendar. Mayor, I'd like to move approval of the consent calendar. I second that. Will the clerk please conduct the vote? Deputy Mayor Robertson? Aye. Mayor Scully? Aye. Councilmember McConnell? Aye. Councilmember Poby? Aye. Councilmember Roberts? Aye. Councilmember Mork? Aye. Councilmember Ramsdale? Aye. <coughs> All right, the consent calendar passes unanimously, which brings us to action item 8A, which is the public hearing on the 2023-2024 proposed biennial budget and capital improvement plan. And it looks like Ms. Lane will be presenting. Good evening, Mayor, Council. I am pleased to um, be here for our fifth. Actually, let me get we get a little quick review of where we've been on our budget process. So tonight is our fifth discussion on the proposed budget, and it does include our third public hearing on the proposed budget and CIP. As always, um, just a reminder that our um, proposed budget is available online as well as for purchase um, from the city clerk's office. And first, for the public hearing, I have a um, brief presentation um, that I'd like to review before asking you to open that public hearing. So first, just as a review, um, our total budget for all funds is about 358 million, just over that. And the breakdown, this, this provides a summary of how it breaks down between our funds, but you can see that the general fund is um, almost 118 million, and the capital funds um, in total are almost $136 million. When we look at how that budget allocates between our various functions, we see that public safety does operate or um, make up about 32% of the budget, and the rest is spread amongst the other functions. Looking at the capital improvement program, you see that transportation makes up the um, bulk of that at almost 70%, 68%, with our parks and facilities um, covering 32%, and that is primarily the parks bond projects. When we look at our enterprise funds and the surface water utility, we see that the surface water capital um, is almost $16 million with the surface water operating at 10.6. Um, and looking at the wastewater utility, we see that the um, wastewater management is about 35, just over $35 million, and wastewater capital at about almost $16 million. And we did have a question last week wondering why was there such a, a difference between the breakdown, and that is primarily due to the very large amount that we pay King County for um, treatment. And of course, that funds a lot of King County's capital program as well. So it's not an exact um, comparison. So with that, Mayor, I would ask that you open um, the public hearing for comment. So I'm going to go ahead and open the public hearing for comment on this action item. 
we ask that members of the public who wish to comment identify themselves by name and city of residence, and there's a three minutes time limit. Okay, our first speaker is Carly Rose. <coughs> or, I'm sorry, Carly Rollins. Uh, hello, my name is Carly Rollins. I am a Shoreline resident, and I'm commenting on the approval of the budget that was brought forward by one of the council members on adding a sidewalk on 200th Street. I uh, thank you for hearing my comments. The first thing I wanted to say is that I am strongly in support of adding a sidewalk to the area that's already been mentioned. For any additional context, I attend the school that it would be in front of, and I take the route past the Jehovah's Witness Church every morning and afternoon. I have friends and siblings who take this route, as well as the one leading in the other direction, and we would all benefit from having the sidewalk there as well. Over the last week, because of recent events at Ingram High School, my school was put on a temporary lockout, a process where all perimeter doors and windows are locked. This happened... Uh, to be the same day that we had a lockdown drill, where it was explained to us that one of the two safe places we are told to evacuate to, if necessary, is the church and the mosque on the other side. Having a sidewalk there would make it easier for kids, especially some of the younger ones, considering that this school has grades kindergarten through eighth grade, to get to these safe destinations. The sidewalk proposed would also maintain some form of regulation over the parking lot in front of the church, which currently is unrestricted. While to the best of my knowledge, no direct issues have been caused, the entire street and area and the across of it has become some form of parking area and having a sidewalk with one set entrance would stop traffic, not only from people there to attend different services, but also from the area next to it, which is a bus stop. Adding regulations to prioritize safety is a responsible and just decision, and I think this is one good example of it. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Ms. Rollins. Okay, next is Kathleen Russell. Kathleen Russell, resident of Shoreline on behalf of Save Shoreline Trees. Thank you to council members for considering amendment two and amendment three in the biennial budget 2023-2024. Save Shoreline Trees asks the full council for your support of these amendments to the budget. It is good news as updated in amendment three that public street tree inventories have been completed in four neighborhoods. The approval of funding for Amendment 3 will expedite the process of surveying the public street trees in the remaining neighborhoods. In reviewing the City of Shoreline Heat Island map, the hottest areas seem to be the neighborhoods of Richmond Highlands, Meridian Park, Briarcrest, Echo Lake, and Ballinger to be verified. And we ask that these neighborhoods be stipulated as priority neighborhoods. We ask council to provide the additional funding with the mandate that the public street trees in the heat island areas be protected during the duration of climate emergency resolution 494. These public street trees are an equity issue for vulnerable residents during heat domes and the trees cool the temperatures in the hottest areas of shoreline. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Russell. There's no one else in the audience. Is there anyone else online who would like to speak? If so, please go ahead and raise your hand on Zoom, or is it star nine, Ms. Simulchek-Smith? It's uh, star, star nine to raise your hand on the telephone. Right. Star nine to raise your hand on the phone. Anyone? No one's raising their hand in Zoom. Thank you. I'll go ahead and close the public hearing portion of it, and we are now on to council questions and discussion. Councilmember Mark. 
I just wanted to make sure, Ms. Lane, that I understood what you've been so patiently been trying to explain to me. Uh, the budget is quite complicated as a new person. It's, it's been a real learning session for me. In, in July, we, we approved putting the levy lid lift on the ballot for the purpose of raising $21.78 million. I'm telling you what I think is, and then please correct me. For the purpose of raising $21.7 million, but that funds, while came close to balancing the budget, wasn't 100% of what would balance the budget. Uh, with the passing of the levy lid lift, the proposal is to keep it still at the $1.39 levy reset, but uh, which will collect slightly more money, uh, 340,000-ish more money, which will balance the budget. I am I correct in? That is a correct going? summary. So that um, what the rate that we had set at 139 at that point did not 100% cover the six years. It was very close, but, and, and I think council accepted that with the higher assessed valuation and the passage of the levy lid lift, it now would fully balance balance the for, forecast as it's presented at this moment. Thank you. Then the next part is the 791,289 increase that is being proposed as AM1. Uh, is that two years of the, the slight increase of budget? Is that how I should be understanding it? It is two years, and that that was actually included. That's already included in that forecast. Thank you. Other questions or comments? No. All right, seeing none. Thank you, Ms. Lane. We will see you one more time for the uh, final final round. We we do have okay. Go ahead. Um, I was going to say I do have slides on the proposed amendments if council wanted. Oh, okay. I, I, was, I wasn't clear if that was there just informationally or if you wanted to present that following this discussion. Do you want to? I, only if council had questions on them. All right. Well, let's, let's make sure that's understood. There, there's a series of amendments which are here on slides, some of which were proposed by staff, others of which were proposed by council members. We can ask questions about them now or the next round. The next round, council members will need to move them, and then each one becomes a discussion item. But if there are questions for staff, this is a, this is a great time to ask them as well. Are there any questions or comments on the amendments? Councilmember um, McConnell. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, I actually would like some coverage, if not all coverage of amendments from the staff's perspective, because I think that next meeting will be very long. And I, I think we all do better if we digest this information another week or two or whatever, whatever the time frame is. Um, so if that's the consensus of the rest of the council, that's what I would suggest. Any objection to that? No? All right. Will, will you walk us through? I would happily walk you through. Jessica can. Yeah, it needs to be going to move through these one more time. I should have done from the 
So amendment. Oh. Hold on a minute. Go ahead. <laughs> I got to see that red light. It's um, the reason why I also suggested this is the public also needs to know what we're doing because when we slam a bunch of uh, amendments, you know, yeah. uh, for the first time, uh, even though the public doesn't seem to be paying as much attention to some of our work, but this is very important, so at least it's on record. Thank you. Thank you. So the first um, proposed amendment was um, recommended by um, the city manager as part of the proposed amendment is that if the levy lid passed, that there would be funding um, appropriated to add some staffing. One information technology specialist, the conversion of our extra help to create a video web specialist um, 0.5 position, a 1.0 FTE human resources specialist, and a um, increase of our current 0.6 recreation specialist to a 1.0 FTE. Um, the recognition is that there were other additions that, um, that were very valid and also critical, but recognizing the financial constraints, um, these were the highest priority items that were deemed um, to be included for a proposed amendment. Any questions on this one? Okay. So amendment number two is um, doing an update to the city's urban tree canopy. This was proposed by three council members, council member Mork, Poby, and Roberts, or Deputy Mayor Roberts. And um, we anticipate this would be about $50,000. It is just a, um, excuse me, Deputy Mayor, I am so sorry. I was behind a couple years. <laughs> yes, I've done it too. Um, anyway, okay. So um, this really just accelerates the schedule. We have um, historically done an urban tree canopy. We um, were intending to do this in 2025. After it came up, we actually were talking with the person updating our urban forest strategic plan and they indicated that there could be some benefit to having this update done sooner rather than the currently planned um, 2025. So staff is supportive of this. Would this, would this replace the 2025 update or would we do two? I think we would probably not do one in 2025, but do one soon thereafter. And I, I think it was 2027 would be the plan for the next round. What has our historical cycle been on, on the updates? It updates? has been seven years. Okay, all right. And is there any extra cost to doing it now as opposed to 2025? It, no, no added cost. And in fact, there might be some cost savings because the inflation and such. But in essence, we'd just be getting that cycle started um, sooner. And I think our earlier logic of waiting until 2025 after Sound Transit had planted all their trees was um, there is a fair chance that because of the maturity of those trees, they won't show up in that, in that study anyway. So waiting doesn't seem to be as beneficial as we had originally thought. All right. Other questions on this item? 
So um, proposed amendment number three was, is completion of the city street tree inventory. So this is something we piloted a few years ago with some cost savings we had in our parks operations budget and we've just continued as we've had some savings to um, move that forward. We have accomplished four neighborhoods in that process. However, we anticipate it would take at least another four years to finish all of the neighborhoods, by which time, of course, we need to start over. So there is some value in, in getting this done sooner. Um, the firm that we currently use probably doesn't have the capacity to do this more quickly. So um, by adding more money, it probably would be a little bit more costly to, to do it. Um, but we would sort of divide and conquer, find another firm to work with them and accelerate this as quickly as possible. So staff are supportive of, of this approach as well. Councilmember Ward. Um, so one of the comments dealt with the heat island, but the way I'm reading this is this is just a complete street tree inventory. And yeah. I suspect it saves money just to get it all done and then try to piecemeal. Is that true? Um, I'm not sure that it saves money as much as it gives us the information more quickly so that we can then use that to make decisions. Yeah. Um, so I think that it's an opportunity cost more than a physical cost savings. I, I just assume that if you're busy having to worry about am I in the heat island or not in the heat island, it might add time. And I completely agree, however, with having a, just a, a line in the sand, we know where we are. So thank yeah. you. Okay, um, so proposal number four, um, also proposed um, by Council Member Mork, was to increase the funding for road, small road safety projects. And um, this was, in essence, a request to double their budget. And so that would be $362,000 for the biennium. And these are, um, this would be in the capital, general capital, excuse me, roads capital fund. Um, and Council Member Mork may want to speak to this more, but I think the, um, the staff perspective on this, and um, Tricia Yonke is available to speak more if there's more detailed questions, but was that with staff capacity, they would actually be challenged to put that money to good use to the types of projects that I think are intended to be supported by it. So um, we have a challenge that ongoing funding would really be needed to add staffing in order to make um, some some meaningful traffic safety um, improvements. But can, can I talk? Go ahead, the, the, uh, you said it much more nicely than, than I would have. The way I understood it is staff really couldn't support uh, spending the additional money and that more staff would be requested and my concern was at this time it seemed uh, inappropriate without discussion and council at writ large to talk about staffing but what my concern was is, is that if we were successful at getting staffing to do some of these immediate safety things that help people uh, feel they're not getting run over with traffic issues and, and having safety problems if we were successful at getting staffing then we needed to have some money there available for it if we don't get staffing uh, fundamentally what staff told me is we're, we are unable to do anything with it so is that fair that that is fair but the the staffing would need to be an additional FTE so 
on top of yeah. what we already have. And, and that wasn't something that, that was prioritized as, and isn't part of our proposed amendment. Yes, and, and so again, saying yes to this means there's money in the budget for materials, but not for the staffing. And what the city is saying is, is that without the staffing, this money won't be spent. Correct. Councilmember. I'm just having a heck of a time with the button. Um, so from years of listening to um, your reports and just traffic issues, I'm wondering if it's not the big bump up in money so much as, and not even the staffing, because the staffing is part of it, but that just putting up a stop sign or speed bumps or dead ending, you know, thoroughfare that is, or that has become a thoroughfare and shouldn't be, are issues that staff would not take lightly and just do it. So that there is some, rec uh, not recourse, some, some calculated methodical process, which includes, which needs staff, right? So it's not, um, like even putting up a stop sign, if it looks so obvious to the people who live in the, you know, quarter mile radius of a, of a bad street, that wouldn't be just, you wouldn't just do it just because it looks so logical. You really have to have some data behind it, which is one of the issues why 362 is still not going to get us there. And I'm thanking Councilmember Mork for bringing this up because as a new person, she really does do a lot of digging up and, and I think has approached you. And, and I think that these are the sort of things that we do need to share with people who haven't been on the, on, on the council for a long time because some things look so simple and why not? And, uh, and I would have said the same thing 10 years ago. So I always encourage staff to explain it to us. Uh, maybe even before we get this far and waste maybe staff time and time on the dais. But, but this is good that we have a lot of amendments, but I really, um, over the years, have not um, been too open to having amendments just flying through here at the last minute. Um, that hasn't been vetted through staff and, and uh, the whole dais. And even now, we're just going to have one extra meeting. So this is a lot of money that we're kicking around. And let me caution the council. We passed the, the, the city, the voters passed Prop 1, but we really have to be careful not to look like we're just all of a sudden spending money that we think we have that we didn't have two weeks ago, because that's really not the intent of Prop 1 in general. It was to continue with mostly the services that we're used to with a little additional tweaking on um, improving radar and, and things like that. But it's not a big slush fund that we've all of a sudden um, gotten from uh, Prop 1 voters passing it. So thank you very much. Councilmember Pauly. Thank you. So with the proposed CIP, 91 million, which is about 68%, is tied to transportation. Are we saying that none of these is allocated to fund small road safety? Oh, no, there, there, is, there is funding in there, so this would double the amount of funding for these small traffic safety projects. So it would just increase that funding um, that's already in the CIP. 
So it's currently 130 or something, and now it's a year. Yes. And so some will be done one way or the other. Something some will be done. Projects. Okay. Exactly. Okay. And I, I think Councilmember Mark's intent was to say, can't we get more done? Okay. Thank you. All right. I have a couple of follow-up questions. What, what would be the cost for adding that FTE on top of the 362000 And second question, related, um, what happens if we fund, say, a quarter FTE? And is, is that possible that we could use that number and still get something done with it? Um, I will, and Ms. Shunke, are you available that you can remind me what the what the dollar amount was for the um, FTE with the with the funding? I should have that in my head, but it's yeah. I don't know that I have it off the top of my head either. I believe it was around one hundred and seventy-five thousand for one yeah. FTE for per year. So, so an additional three fifty. Um, so what would that be? You know, seven, so just over $700,000 for the biennium. All right, so that's question one. Question two is, is there a way to put that money to use? Because what I'm hearing is we funded, it just sits there. I, I doubt we're going to get a lot of votes for that. But the question is, is there a way to increase small road safety for that number or about that would actually happen? If we had, are you saying if we had the additional FTE or without the FTE? No, without without the FTE, is there a way to is there a way to allocate that three hundred sixty two thousand in order to get staffing support so that not all of it, but some of it could be spent? And Councilor Roberts, I see your hand. Let me finish mine, and then we'll go to you. Yeah, I think it would be challenging for with that additional money, um, as Sarah said, to actually implement much. We may find some small amount of capacity in order to get a few extra projects in there. Um, but it would be very limited because our traffic group is pretty limited in their size and capacity. Um, and there's also trying to maintain and manage operational issues as well. All right. Thank you. Councilmember Roberts. Thank you. Um, I think I, my general thought about all of this is that it would be better if we had a specific list of projects that we wanted to fund rather than sort of a, a batch of potential projects. And, but I think the question that the mayor asked uh, about having potentially what would a, like a 0.5 FT, what might that look like in terms of being able to um, accelerate some of these uh, safety projects. Ms. Shunke, you want to? Yeah, I don't have a good, I'm trying to think through, if we had 0.5 FTE, how much could we do? Um, I don't have a good answer for that and would need to get back to you to see would we be able, if we had a I mean, the challenge is that a point F, point 0.5 FTE would need to be for more than one year, right, versus this one-time money is for the biennium. So um, we had put together some numbers assuming that we had a three-year ongoing program that came out to roughly 1.3 million, 1.4 million, if I'm remembering correctly, Ms. Lane. Um, yes. So we had looked at it from that perspective, but that was a full FTE. So, you know, I would be inclined to say if that if we had half an FTE, we would be looking at needing uh, half of that amount, half of that 1.4 in order to make uh, impact over the course of three years. 
I would yeah. also yeah. raise the concern that attracting a 0.5 engineer um, would be a challenge. And they've already had a challenge filling these engineer positions. Thank you. Uh, my second, que second question is if staff were to sort of identify particular projects that needed to be done immediately because of a concern, we have the capacity and we have the ability as a council to fund that specific project. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. So, I mean, I think that we have the flexibility um, in the budget to identify immediate and emergency um, safety projects if necessary. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you. Councilmember Mark. So a uh, couple follow-up questions, uh, just so I'm understanding. Is there no ability to hire a consultant that can help do a small thing? Does it have to be FTEs? So one of the challenges of hiring a consultant, we use consultants for a, a wide variety of services. Uh, one of the challenges is, is that the consultant then needs to be managed by staff. Somebody has to manage the consultant and has to review the consultant's work and make sure what they're doing. Uh, when we're talking about some of these small safety improvements, um, if it's things like you know designing the some additional curb ramps and, and narrowing um, pedestrian crossings, we certainly would hire a consultant to do that um, design, but we would need uh, staff to oversee that consultant and then work on the implementation. And if it's smaller items, things like you know putting in speed bumps or putting in um, stop signs, as was mentioned, that does take an evaluation. Uh, and some of that evaluation could be done by consultants, but again, consultants require um, some oversight as well. Thank you. I, I'm again. I'm just trying to increase a little bit um, to play. You know, I I frequently get comments on this uh, where people are taking shortcuts and speeding through, and people are afraid for their children. Uh, Councilmember Ramsdale talked about his concern there uh, in Evanston. And I'm just trying to understand what Councilmember Roberts suggested on an emergency basis. Is that what happened when the uh, young child was killed on the uh, 15th, where the crosswalk then was done? Is that what the emergency is, or is there other def definitions of emergency? In that particular example, it was after the fatality that Council then did fund the uh, installation of a single a signal um, and pedestrian crossing. Now we don't have Kendra Dadinsky here with us tonight, but I would say she would remind you that um, when you've done the annual traffic report that uh, a lot of people's perception of safety and the data around safety may not align. Um, where people are concerned about cut through traffic are on roads that are designed to handle that amount of traffic. And when you compare some of those smaller streets with larger streets and you look at the data, uh, some of these safety improvements that would be needed would be more appropriate on a larger street than on some of these small streets. Thank you. Anything further on this item? Council Member. 
Yeah, I just have one comment. Um, I just kind of, you know, since um, Council Member uh, Mork brought up the uh, brought up the issue that I was, of my concern on Evanston. Um, I know that that the data that was provided to to uh, myself and our neighbors at the time involved um, the the uh, quantity of, of vehicles traveling on that street, and it didn't meet the criteria for any kind of uh, traffic mitigation based on the quantity. Um, uh, so that I understand the argument regarding data, but um, that was just one data point. I'm wondering about, um, uh, I know on that same street, they, they, uh, the city put up a speed um, kind of uh, uh, radar, um, uh, uh, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not sure what the official like, name of that um, uh, mechanism is, but it was kind of a, a radar to, to kind of see how fast cars were traveling. And as a result of right. that, uh, as a result of that, um, uh, that study, uh, some chicanes were, were built um, on one end of, uh, of Evanston between 145th and uh, um, 148th because, and the, my understanding was at the time that the city did determine that there was excessive speeding going on on that street and that's why the chicanes were built. I might be wrong. If I'm incorrect, please, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd let me know. Um, so, so the so the issue is like what I'm kind of wondering as far as like looking at road safety is is speed speeding um, a data point that's that is um, uh, still uh, gathered, uh, or is that something that the city no longer does? Thank so, you. Yeah, before you answer that question, let's just remember we're in the budget. So what we're talking about here is whether we can fund particular programs. Ms. Junkie, please go ahead. So I can't speak. I do know we still take speed data. I don't know if we take speed data on all streets or the frequency of uh, what we take speed data on. I would need to confirm with uh, Kendra Dodinsky to be to get the details on that. I'd be happy to do that and get back to you. All right. Thank you. Just for clarification, I mean, the direction I'm going in my questioning was to find out if it'd be worthwhile um, to uh, amend uh, um, Council Members Mork, Mork's uh, amendment to add a full-time um, uh, uh, employee and NFT. Um, so that's where I was going with, that, with my questioning. Thank you. All right. Any further comments on this proposed amendment? Okay. okay. Amendment number five. Um, and five, six, and seven were all sidewalk amendments proposed by Councilmember Roberts. And um, they each have um, in the cost a 0.5 FTE. We do recognize that if council were to choose to um, fund all three of them, that a 1.0 FTE would be adequate. But since they're separate amendments, um, we included a 0.5 because you cannot hire less than a 0.5 um, FTE. And of course, we would have the same issue if only one of them was approved, uh, being able to potentially recruit for a 0.5 engineer position. So I think the... Um, obvious pro on each of these is that it does extend sidewalks and they are on sidewalk lists. The con is that um, they are not highest priority projects and there are higher priority projects that have not yet been funded. Um, so happy to enter. Um, I'm sure Ms. Junkie would be happy to answer any more detailed questions you have about these. Um, Questions? Yeah, Councilor Roberts, go ahead. Yeah, it's, it, <laughs> looking up there. Sorry, I had to wave there. Um, I first have a question. The sidewalk on 200th is almost double 
at least the, what the staff is thinking is almost double the cost of some of these other segments. Um, all of the segments are roughly, I would almost say that 200th is probably the shortest segment there. <laughs> um, but I did not have not done the measurements exactly. Can you sort of explain why that one is projected to be almost double the cost of some of the other segments? Yeah, so I'd have to dig into the estimates a little bit closer. I do know that that segment on 200th, when you get next to down by 25th, there is a stream there. And so we do anticipate needing some additional funding for uh, stream buffer impacts, uh, I know is part of the um, estimate, uh, along with some other environmental or you know basic environmental mitigation. Um, and then both the, the estimates for 200th was taken out of a larger estimate that we had put together for a grant funding proposal that included sidewalks on 25th. So we attempted to take that estimate uh, and scale it back. Um, and so, and similarly, we did the same on Wallingford from 155th to 150th. Um, as far as just scaling it, looking at the size, the relative size and the changes in quantities. Um, however, there were two separate estimates that we used to come up with these numbers. Um, I'd have to dig into it a little bit deeper to see why there's a, a as big of a discrepancy as that was beyond the the environmental mitigation, and I, because my perception was that 200 is longer than the other two, uh, because you have the two ends, you have the portion um, closest to 30th and the por portion closest to 25th. Right. No, I, I can understand that. Um, I do know that or at least I believe that when the school district put in a portion of the sidewalk on 200th, there was not environmental mitigation that was done because they just built the sidewalk on top of the existing street. So um, things may have changed in the last couple of years. Um, and I, I believe that the 200th street segment is uh, either three or four parcel. I mean, all of the, the different segments are either th one parcel long on the, uh, towards 25th, and I believe it's two or three parcels long um, from the, the end of the existing sidewalk to 30th. Uh, um, but- I'd be happy uh, to review our estimates and see if they, uh, no, if there's it, an it, error in them. It, it's fine. I, I just wanted to just ask that question. Uh, yeah. I do want to uh, sort of just talk about support of these amendments uh, to my colleagues here that these are projects that are adjacent to schools, whether Cascade K-8 and the Aldercrest campus, which also includes Tahee. Um, Echo Lake um, is, the, the sidewalk in front of Echo Lake uh, would continue from 192nd all the way to 195th if this were, were adopted. Currently, the sidewalk goes from 195th to the edge of the Echo Lake pro uh, school property, and the sidewalk from Longford from 155th to uh, 150th would continue the sidewalk that is currently existing on Park at Parkwood Elementary all the way to the um, nearest corner. So all of these, I believe, are safety improvements uh, that are for our children in our in our community. Uh, the on 200th and on Wallingford between 155th and 150th, they are um, on hills and I think significant hills um, that make it difficult to. Uh, for especially younger kids to uh, to walk those segments. Um, but I'll say sort of broadly um, about where we are in terms of our budget and where we are in terms of 
what we sh what we I think our the community expects of us. Um, we found out uh, thanks to a question from the mayor that REIT uh, collection were was two point six five million dollars over what was projected for the 2020, uh, 2021-2022 budget, so this year's budget. So I mean, that's additional dollars that we should be using to fund road, uh, specifically I mean, road projects, uh, and sidewalk projects. That's what uh, large, largely what REIT is for. Um, and then we also, if you look at the budget, um, the general fund budget currently projected to have a general fund undesignated balance at the end of the 2024 year of $10.31 million. Uh, so we have money that it's not, I do, do not believe this is throwing money away uh, sort of willy nilly. This is addressing projects. These are the amendments that are being proposed here, I believe are addressing needed projects that the community definitely supports. So I, I have these separated as three separate uh, proposals, but I encourage everyone to, my colleagues, to think of these as sort of helping our children and making sure that our children can get to school safely. So I encourage you to support all of them. And I believe that if we approve multiple of these amendments here on the of five, six, and seven, then the total cost of actually um, building these sidewalks is going to be less because they, all of these um, components include a half a 0.5 FTE and we only really need a 1.0 FTE if they are all approved. And then I also I think that the FTE can help in other projects as well but sort of focused on completing these sidewalk projects and also the uh, other projects implement, uh, that the um, city voters have approved our uh, sales tax a few years ago. Thank you, Mayor. Deputy Mayor. I think these should be quick questions, um, primarily for Ms. Junkie. My, my first one was for these uh, price, price points that we've been given on these three projects specifically, would they just be on the one side of the street that was adjacent to the schools or is that both sides of the street? Sorry, I need to unmute. Uh, these would be for one side of the street uh, adjacent, uh, connecting into the frontage in front of the school. Thank you. Given the other sidewalk projects that we have committed to that are slated for the next, you know, biennium, uh, how would these potentially fold into that? Could they happen in concert and tandem at the same time? Would they be prioritized above those? I realize we're adding a, we would potentially add a staff person, um, but there still is the execution of the project on the ground. So how would that timing work out? So the idea of having the um, additional term limited FTE would be so that these would be focused on on their own and they wouldn't distract from or detract from the schedule for the other new sidewalk projects. Um, if we tried to do it with existing staff, it would be uh, a competing priority, but by having the additional staff, I think we could do these without jeopardizing the other sidewalks. Okay. Um, my last question, and this one is for Ms. Lane. I was going to wait till the end um, to get a, a vibe from you on just the total, like my, my quick, you know, back of the napkin math is that these amendments total well over $5 million. Um, 
council member just mentioned that we have an undesignated balance of 10 million. Um, I don't know that I would be comfortable tapping into it quite that deeply. And I just wanted to see, you know, if you had thoughts or if staff have thoughts on the budget you've presented to us being balanced and the amount of additional costs we're comfortable taking on. I, um, I do have some, some hesitation about the, the amount of the, the amendments that are proposed here. We do have the undesignated fund balance that could support them. That, of course, then limits council's flexibility to address other needs that we know are um, out there, such as other transportation projects, the um, funding of the city maintenance facility as, as that continues to move on. Um, so I guess in my mind that, that we don't have a, a endless pot of money, we really need to be very thoughtful and consider all the priorities that you've, that you've placed, you know, in our plans. Um, thank you. And just thank you, uh, council member. McConnell for your your thoughts at the beginning of this like we, we aren't kids in a candy store with unlimited funds to just tap into for our various interests that's important to keep in mind thank you Council Member McConnell actually that was my hand raised up to alert uh, Council Member Roberts also but I did have actually quite a bit to say about this um, these three amendments <clears throat> I've been on the council a long time and I hope you all respect that I'm just reminding all of us, old and new, that there's a history and a protocol that we have generally been abiding by. And that is something that I do not want to open the floodgates. And this one does that in my book. Um, I've got lots of notes. Let me jump down to tie, tie that comment into then every council member next year is going to have and I, and I don't mean this in a bad way, pet projects, because that's what it's going to look like, pet projects. I could do a lot of dancing around Richmond Breach, the saltwater park access. I kept my mouth quiet, shut, because it was on the list. That's what we have to respect, because staff puts a long list, it's endless, it's limitless and it's unfunded for many things, and we prioritize by a lot of uh, conditions for uh, medium, high priority, and low. So we are talking about three projects that are on the docket, but they are all designated medium priority. To me, that means that if we pass this, we're going to bump we're gonna bump off or extend the length of time it takes to do some of the other high priority projects that will be around three, four million dollars total. I don't like to do that. I mean, we, we talk about respecting the staff, respecting our committees, respecting boards that we ask for their opinion. And this is, to me, an area that really, um, speaks to that for me. I, I'm just not a yes council member, but I do respect that when the staff brings a lot of information in a very compact manner, that there's a lot more questions that we could ask. If we think it's too much, we should ask 
or city manager to be connected with that staff person for our own personal um, comfort. But in that in this event, because we have a, you know a lot of new people, I just want to caution you that this is what is going to happen if this passes is that it's not fair for the other higher priority issues that all tweak safety, that all tweak all those things that the, these three medium priorities tweak. And they, these three medium priorities do not tweak safety and lots of other things as much as the ones that are above that. Any of us can ask this list. It's a very long list and it's very clear what's high, medium, and I think you have low. I mean, <laughs> it's so low that I almost forget that it's there. Um, and finally, with this speech, I, I, you know, these people that talk to us about these school sidewalks, I hear you. However, I don't want you to think that I am against school safety for children. I had two kids. We all don't want our kids to go to school in, uh, you know, an area that's unsafe. But we also all see other th needs, and we. I need to respect the priority list that was already there. Um, so uh, this is not the time to actually have a vote, but I've been very sort of concerned about these three coming up and they total almost $4 million. So that is a huge set of three amendments from one council member. And respectfully, Chris Roberts, um, council member Roberts, you and I have been friends for a long time we talk to each other all the time, and I hope you understand that, I, that these comments are just pretty, just black and white comments in terms of real solid data, and I, and, um, and I have to say this because we have enough um, new members that need to hear why I'm so concerned about this. Thank you very much, Mayor. All right, thank you. Is anyone else not spoken? I have a word and then I'm gonna suggest we, we're gonna have this discussion again and this council has generally been pretty good about not repeating ourselves next hearing, but the, the time to actually hash this out is gonna be next meeting. That said, I do wanna weigh in on the institutional stuff because I hear all of you on this and, I, and I'm sympathetic to everyone. And honestly, I have very mixed feelings about this one. The, the backstory to this is we had a sidewalk prioritization process. We discussed it and argued about it and we have all these metrics they are ways to put numbers on things you can't really put numbers on, right? Like safety, how much is safety worth in numbers? Um, and we got a list out of that. There was a citizen advisory committee and then we got a, a, a priority list that came out of it. And that list was adopted pretty much as proposed. And my thoughts over the years have been, one, we need that because I agree, we're not districted and I don't want us to be districted. I don't want people fighting for their own pet project, whether it's in their, their neighborhood or otherwise. On the other hand, this isn't a computer program, and the fact that we had this set of numbers and we had citizens commenting doesn't necessarily mean we got it 100% right. And we are all individual human beings who are individually elected to say, hold on a minute, I think we actually need to sidewalk in front of this particular school as more of a priority based upon either the information we originally had or new information we've got. So on these sidewalks, I don't know. I will tell you on nine, which is the synthetic, synthetic turf field, that one really is, on my side of the scale, that's too much, hand-picking a specific project versus a safety issue, which for me somehow makes it more of a gray area. All of that said, I don't have a magic answer to this. I am inclined to vote in favor of the sidewalk projects and not against some of the other 
what I, I think a, a earmark is probably the best. You know, a pet project has, has sort of a negative connotation. I think these are, these are more accurately described as earmarks, which are specific projects that an elected person promotes rather than staff as a whole. So with those general comments, are there further comments on this item? No? Okay. All right. I think we're on eight. So yep, number eight was a um, proposed amendment by Councilmember Roberts to add a 0.5 FTE to support social media and digital communications at a cost of about $75,000. Um, this would do exactly that. Um, <laughs> and it's not something that staff identified in our, um, in our process. Yeah, I was, I was just going to say um, there is a web and video specialist request that the city, from the city manager's office. Can, we can, I mean, we see many uh, improved job descriptions. I think when it comes to social media, this is something that can be, you know, added to that job description, uh, I, I think. I think, that that, I think that that was what Councilmember Roberts was also hoping. Um, from our perspective, this this position is really a um, sort of social media and the actual communications aspect of it, where the other other position is a technical position. So it's supporting all of the mechanisms that make the meetings happen versus the content. And so we don't believe that you'd likely get one person who could could put both of those skill sets together. Um, and we do see the, the technical need being critical. We, um, we have very new and sophisticated machinery and technology that we need to have people to support in order to make sure we can make these meetings happen. I, I totally get that uh, aspect, mm -hmm. but I was just, I'm not sure how much uh, social media communication we need from the city's uh, aspect is what I'm thinking and uh, the trouble it may come with. I remember when we were going through orientation as a council member. Yeah, thank God I'm not a social media person, old school. But um, some of the restrictions and some information they can take out and all of that. So I'm just thinking through. Um, and I will appreciate if council member Roberts can um, comment on this. Thank you. Councilmember Roberts. Uh, thank you. And uh, Councilmember Poby, I thank you for your question. I mean, that was really in part sort of what the discussion we had early in the budget season about this, um, what uh, this, uh, this other sort of uh, technical um, position was sort of brought up the spot about what are, what are we doing and how can, really and fundamentally how can we as pe fewer people fewer and fewer people are reading the news and the the coverage of our traditional news media is becoming less how do we reach new people new people coming into the city new people who are living in um, apartments and younger people who are not consuming media the same way that we used to and i think there's some interesting things here about how much time we are spending, um, current staff is spending on social media. And do we need, to, and then there's the question, sort of this thought that how do we sort of 
branch out into the, uh, places where the city is not, but our residents are, and to make sure that they are aware of what's happening um, in our city. And part of that, and part of that sort of brainstorming session, and also learning from getting responses from the staff, we also currently contract out for some digital communication. So photography and video. And so my question, Miss Lane, is do we know how much we are contracting out for digital communication? I don't think I ever got, we ever got a complete answer to that. I don't believe that we, that we have got, gotten the answer to that question. So I can follow up on that. And thank you. Um, because there is, I mean, I think that there will be some certain amount of savings there um, as we don't have to contract out for certain digital communication work. And I think that when we talk about, when we, especially when we think about talking to our legislators, we need to be sort of present and being able to share all the good things that Shoreline is doing, that our city is doing. And so that's why I think that this has value. Um, I think that um, there probably needs to be some more work on this. And so I'm going to probably bring this back and this whole and a discussion about our communication approach at our um, retreat next year where we can have a fuller discussion about what are our goals of our communication program and how do we achieve those goals. Thank you, Mayor. Okay. On quest or number nine, proposed amendment number nine was to install a synthetic turf field at Shoreview Park versus the currently planned um, natural turf field that is planned. Questions? No. Oh, Councilman Roberts. Thank you. Thank you, Mayor. And I appreciate your comments earlier. Um, I think that there's a couple of things about this that I I believe are valuable, at least considering um, aesthetic turf uh, field. Uh, first is, uh, there is a potential that this could be, uh, that the installing turf rather than the maintenance of grass can actually be budget neutral over time. Uh, the staff suggested that at, I believe, seven to eight years, um, I'm not looking at my report. <laughs> I think it was uh, eight, eight years. Oh about eight years i mean so we get the investment back um in, so that there is not it's an upfront cost but it's not the ongoing it'd be not the same ongoing costs in terms of maintaining the field uh in future years and um also there is i think the potential for more revenue by being able to rent out a, a, a a turf field rather than renting out a grass field as the turf field would be able to be used uh, throughout more seasons of the year. So that was the thought here. And also part of proposition one was to sort of help with park maintenance. And I think this would be fits right within the uh, goals of proposition one. Thank you, Mayor. Other questions or comments? Yeah, Council Member. Uh, thank you, Mayor. Um, so the only uh, concern I have is um, with a synthetic uh, uh, turf field is like a, about the, the toxic um, Im impact of that crud uh, recycled rubber, um, and and what uh, you know. I think that that would be kind of a negative like, element that I that I have some questions about, and I kind of would wonder about is what are what's the research out there about like how um, uh, about the the safety of, of uh, crud rubber on a 
And we use cork, right? I mean, we voted for that. I, I believe that yes. we use cork, use cork. and I'm inviting um, Mr. Yes. Bohr to the yeah. field because he can answer these more technical questions. So thank you for having me. Um, yes, there's concerns about that. Yeah, it can go either way. We use cork and we won't use the crumb rubber. And that's all the, the fields we currently have right now are cork. Um, what's, what's the lifespan of, uh, of the cork versus like a crud rubber? You know, it's so new. That's kind of the nuanced. We don't know. You know, you get eight, ten years out of a field, depending on how often it's used. Um, if you schedule it heavily, you'll get less use out of it. But that's what we're looking at. Um, from my experience, I haven't seen a significant difference. All right. Thank you. What's that? Oh, I said oh, from sorry. my experience, I haven't seen a significant difference in cork versus rubber and longevity. Normally what breaks down is the uh, synthetic the turf, the grass turf. Yeah. All right, any other questions on number nine? Thank you, Mayor. Um, I actually did send a couple of leaks to the rest of the council because years ago I got very involved with my involvement with the Shoreline School Districts who were also weighing this. And so we're, we don't talk about things like the, the increase in uh, heat coming off those turf uh, during a semi-warm day, like about, could be 20 degrees. So, so I, I think it's important to consider the people who are actually using those so the, uh, you, you know, the cancer research hasn't been played out, but moving away from chrome rubber, uh, from um, the rubber um, is great because we've all smelled <laughs> old tires in a <laughs> in a dump ground, and you know we just got to assume there's some real bad stuff in that. In that, so that's great. But the also the uh, safety of turf fields is also a concern uh, that I have because the injury rate is is uh, statistically significantly more now. Whether that is a big deal for high school, middle school kids. I do agree with the longevity of the product. However, I just wonder if you could let us know how many fields are turf now that we control. Now, the school district is also doing their own thing and share that as well, because if it is going to turf, we should at least know that there's a, some safety and the uh, you know, we're going to get those warm days, and uh, kids actually have, you know, they, they overheat, and, you know, it's a health issue when it's 100 degrees on the turf. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so if you could answer any of those random questions, <laughs> appreciate yeah, so, it. Um, as far as the heat light in effect, that, that is a real concern, and that is a negative. It was pointed out in the, the briefing, what you guys got. It does get considerably hotter, especially in the midsummer, hot, hot months. Um, the offset of that is you can play it a lot longer in the winter. It doesn't get wet and muddy, and um, so you can use them a lot longer. Um, oh, what was the question? How many fields? Uh, oh, we the have? other the yeah, other was part was switch. if I'm you sorry. know in general in shoreline between school fields and our fields, how much are going moving toward turf or staying with dirt. I mean, I it's, it's not fun to be on a muddy field, yeah. but, and the grass 
around here if it's muddy. You know, I, I get that, but um, it's significantly costlier, so I want to make sure we all understand that. Thank yep, you. so shoreline one and two is synthetic, and then twin ponds. I think that's the only two we have. And then I, I'm sorry, I can't speak to the school district. I'm not sure. And we don't currently have any other plans to install new synthetic in any of our other fields. So this, this would be the only one if council approved it. What about safety, Nick? I think you're... You know, so I, I did some research, and really, honestly, depending on where you look, there's varying variance on what you know what's more safe there's a lot of evidence to lower leg injuries ankles knees acls um and then nfl looking at that that's starting to even out to where it's about the same on synthetic versus natural turf fields um the jury's out really honestly i see a lot of different research either way and it it might be influenced by the preference of whoever's doing the, the, the research also, too. And I'd imagine the condition of the field, very few NFL fields have the foxholes we get in ours by November. <laughs> Just to uh, wrap it up, the links I sent you were all from a mom link because every link I went to that was selling turf, you can imagine, you know, you could read between the lines that this was not as impartial, uh, you know, a conclusion. So I finally just wound up going to that same link over and over again because I, I consider the parent aspect a little bit more important that they're not just concerned about costs or concerned about safety, health, and all those things that as uh, human beings, many of us being parents would be concerned about that we wouldn't know until it happened when our kid drops out because they're dehydrated because they've been playing an hour on a 100-degree surface. Now, that's hot enough to um, hit a fr um, uh, fry an egg, right? So anyway, thank you very much. Any other questions on number nine? The last one. So number 10 um, was an additional ongoing support um, for contracted mental health services. So that was $75,000 a year to support um, growth in that program. And that was proposed by Councilmember Roberts as well. Councilmember? Okay. Uh, thank you, Mayor. Um, I guess I'm, I'm hesitant to, to support this one because I, I think there needs to be a better analysis of finding, doing a needs assessment on really what, what mental health services are needed, like what what does that uh, support look like, what population is it uh, uh, targeted towards, what um, I think it's like I think from looking at the the, the uh, amendment more carefully, I think it was more towards adolescence. But even I want to find out like what for me before I could support something like that, I need to have a better, a clearer idea of you know what what the need is in the community and what what services are out there already. So are there unmet needs as a result of of uh, uh, um, of uh, for for children and adolescents before I before I could support the this amendment? Thank you. Ms. Lane, do you want to respond, and then Councilmember Roberts, I'm sure, does. Um, I do know that the there is a human services um, plan that is proposed in the budget, and I think staff would probably um, also support waiting for the outcome of that, and then potentially including some additional requests in the mid-biennium update request um, for exactly the reasons that Councilmember Ramsdale noted. 
Councilmember Roberts. Uh, thank you. Um, so currently we pro do provide, or through the Center for Human Services, we provide about 20 hours a week of direct mental health support. Um, I mean, this is specifically for youth and teens. Do we know that that money, the existing money is currently being used and I believe, uh, let me not say I believe, but uh, that money is currently being completely allocated is that correct and we know they're they are providing 20 hours a week of no call support I, is um miss kelly on the line no no okay i will i will answer that um oh, and yes she is oh yes she is so um miss kelly can you can you speak to the question is the um current funding fully allocated and is it being utilized Hi, good evening. Um, took me a minute to get all my things clicked. Um, Councilmember Roberts, that money is being fully allocated at this time, uh, and the services, the 20 hours of direct services, are being provided. And we get, we have, we know, we believe that all 20 hours are being used every week. Yes. Okay. So, um, when is it expected that the human service strategic plan would be completed and adopted by council? Yeah, I, you know, um, I talked to staff about that in trying to get a good complete response to your question. Um, of course, the money is just in this budget and so we'll be putting together the work plan. I, I think the hope is to try to do the bulk of it next year, uh, potentially have it all the way complete. Um, but we also uh, have some staffing challenges because we don't have human dedicated human services staff. So we really have to look at our whole work plan to see what's possible to do. Um, but our goal would be to try to get it, to get it done. We would like to be poised to tell a good story about all of our human services investments, certainly in time for the next biennium, potentially in time for some uh, some mid buy adjustments or uh, or additional asks. And but we're, we. The way it's sort of described is that you would not come for a mid-biennial adjustment until after the human service plan is adopted. And it sounds like we're not going to have that plan adopted in 2023, with but with the hope of probably getting it done, in, with the hope of getting it done in 2024. I would say there's an outside chance we would have it done in 2023. Whether you know, I mean, the timing for being in front of the mid-buy doesn't doesn't really quite work either because you know that's kind of September. So. Uh, realistically, I think, um, you know, we would be looking at um, really informing the 2020, the next biennial budget. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. My thoughts about this is that, yes, I think we should wait. In the ideal world, we should wait until the completion of the Human Services Strategic Plan. However, we know we have this money, the current funds that we use provide for youth and teens is fully allocated that there is a need. I mean, if it's something is used completely, we have 20 hours a week is all 20 hours is filled. We're not going to be able to adopt a, a human services plan for at least a year. We have a need right now that we can fill. And so even though I, I, it's described as ongoing, I see this as sort of an interim stopgap um, funding that can be used right now to help children, youth and teens in need. 
We just saw, I mean, it was just a week ago that there was a shooting in one of our neighboring schools where uh, one person uh, very sadly died. Um, many of the students I know who go to Shorecrest knew that kid or knew of someone who knew the kid, um, what happened at Ingram. And so these are kids who need help now. I, I do not... I do not think it's wise to sort of just wait and hope that we can adopt a, a um, human services strategic plan when we have, I believe we have the funds and the budget to help people right now. And again, I believe, do believe this fits within our, um, what Proposition 1 said in terms of funding safety and mental health services. Uh, thank you, Mayor. Thank you. Further comments? All right, thank you all. It's been a little longer than we thought, but it's been, it has been the most intense budget discussion in my years in the council, and that's a very good thing. We've had some really good questions, both about what staff's proposed, and this is more amendments than I think we've also ever seen, which I quite frankly think is great, although it's a lot of information for all of us to process. So Ms. Mungia and Mr. Hammond, we're now on to uh, study item 9A, which is the legislative priorities. And I, I apologize for asking this, but to the extent you can summarize, I would greatly appreciate it. And Ms. Wangia, I know you drove up from Olympia to be here with us tonight, so it's a, a long day for you. Thank you, Ms. Lane. Good evening. Uh, good evening, council members. My name is James Hammond. I am the Intergovernmental Relations Manager for the City of Shoreline, and today I am joined by... Deborah Mangia. I've been the city's contract lobbyist since 2019, I believe. And uh, at, per your request, Mr. Mayor, we'll go through the background pretty uh, promptly, just uh, to go kind of the overhaul. How do I do this? Is this... Sorry, I'm just learning my technology on the fly. Okay, does that work? Okay. So uh, this is the what? First of all, we skipped the slide there, but this is the purpose of legislation. Uh, legislative priorities is to guide staff. Yeah, council is a policy body. You sort of set the compass, and then we try to navigate the course. And what the, the legislative agendas allow us to do is to have broad parameters within which to work. If new issues emerge, we will work on an ad hoc basis with council to refine guidance and stuff. Uh, the, the city manager will provide sort of that point guard role with council as we navigate the session. This, we're coming up in 2023 on what is called a long session, 105 days. It is notable because it is like uh, your deliberations just a moment ago, the first year of a biennial budget. So major financial decisions are made in the realm of operating capital and transportation budgets. And then, of course, there's always policy legal issues of interest to the state around housing, homelessness, zoning, land use, public safety, and more. So there's a lot going on. Let me see if I can get this to the next slide. Uh, Deborah? Okay. Um, so... Shoreline is very active in the work that the Association of Washington Cities does, and AWC is a great organization. AWC has adopted their 2023 legislative priorities, and there are um, several things on there that are definitely of interest to the city, including addressing the, the Blake decision, the costs that cities have incurred because of that, 
making sure that there's funding for alternative response teams, um, and that ties in very closely with behavioral health, um, having providing greater access to services and helping communities establish co-responder programs. We know that that's going to be a big issue in the legislature next session. And then also affordable housing and um, what might come in terms of policies around that. Last session, there was a bill that was introduced that would have mandated certain types of zoning for cities. AWC has been involved in a housing solutions group um, throughout the interim. Several legislators have also been involved and they're looking at a package of things that hopefully people can come to agreement on that include zoning, include funding, include regulatory reform. So um, we'll, we haven't seen a draft bill yet, but we should be seeing one fairly soon and hopeful that that will gain some momentum. A lot of the elements of that the city supports, and so I, I, I feel good about where that's going. Yeah, and, and those are the kinds of things we will provide ongoing updates to council through the city manager reports. So you will have access to this information and then obviously access to me with any questions or, or anything else you would need to make, ensure that you're fully informed about what's going on. So we uh, in the agenda, we, uh, we tend to divide the work into a sort of a policy area, but then first and foremost, sort of some shoreline-specific priorities. These often center around funding especially the first year of a biennium. And so our legislators have uh, an opportunity to bring money home to the district, local community projects is, the, is kind of the bucket. And we work each year with our facilities team to sort of identify some worthy capital investments. Those of you who were on council two years ago recall that we pursued funding for restrooms uh, and, and successfully received a significant amount of money. The goal was to uh, rehab eight restrooms that are deteriorating throughout our park system. Uh, we only got through half, thanks to COVID, price escalation, and certain construction materials just going away or through the roof. Uh, so we're coming back for the second half. In addition, you know, one of the, we're a completely fast-growing city. One of the hallmarks of the Growth Management Act is for communities that take growth is to have concurrency with amenities and things that maintain the livability of our community. And, and, and this council and the city has wisely over the years acquired land and land banked potential future neighborhood parks. Three of those, uh, uh, down by Westminster, then the uh, up on 185th and over on, on 192nd and Aurora are, are parks that are in need of planning and, and community engagement to fully realize their value. The goal would be funding to take them from vacant land to ready to turn over to a, you know, almost shovel ready, I guess, is, it would be the term for a park. And, and, and that's what this second funding request would cover. The third is a specific request, um, particular to one park down uh, in Richmond Beach Community Park, that is on paper accessible, but is desperately in need of authentic accessibility improvements to really follow through on that promise. And those, are the, and, that, and those are the three items we are exploring with our legislators to see if we can secure their support for local capital funding. In addition, we are working with our five-city coalition, the Radar Cities, Kirkland, Bothell, Canmore, Lake Forest Park, to, uh, to kind of start up and land a facility in North King County to support the work of the Radar team. 
That may or may not need funding depending on how a number of different balls in the air land. They are successfully pursuing grants, but they may not get all the grants. The county is interested in supporting, but maybe we don't find middle ground on all of the uh, projected needs. So there may be an ask, going back to the, to the legislator on that, this would be a five-city coalition ask, of which Shoreline would be a part. And then finally, um, we are when this slide was crafted, we were just interested in seeing if there was additional funding within the state transportation budget to put more money in on the pedestrian bicycle bridge at 148th connecting across I-5 because the Climate Commitment Act, which generates carbon-based tax revenue for the transportation budget, was being more successful than originally anticipated and there'd be additional funding. So hey, this is a worthy project that was included in the transportation budget, let's go for it. In addition, however, we are seeing that uh, preliminary wash dot uh, prioritization places this uh, bridge unfortunately far down the list. And so job one will be to bring funding to Shoreline, not in some distant future date, but for the next biennium. And so we are, will be pursuing sort of ask number one, move it forward in time, ask number two, move it up in capital. And so those are sort of the Shoreline specific priorities we'd be looking at for this session. Some of the key policy issues, we'll go over this quickly. Uh, Deborah touched on some of this in the context of AWC is Blake decisions. Clearly climate change and sustainability, there's a lot there that's of value and of, of importance to this city and to this community and to this council. Um, we wanna make sure that we are using, there's a lot of money coming in from the State Climate Commitment Act and then the Federal Inflation Reduction Act, a lot of which we have still have no idea how that's gonna come down the pike. We want to be active and engaged in guiding that so it's effective and it's on the ground. I know you've heard from my colleagues on our climate action plan, and, and that's a real big nexus for this sort of bucket of funding. And then fish blocking culverts has been a longtime concern to help the health of salmon and our sound, and, and something we will continue to seek state partnership at a local level. Likewise, homelessness and equitable access to housing. Some of this, again, is the Housing Solutions Group Deborah referred to. We'll address much of this stuff. We want to make sure that we are active and uh, conscious in these, in these conversations. And, and I think Shoreline is a special community in this state in that way because we have embraced and, uh, growth. We have embraced density. We have uh, really committed to equity and inclusion in the way we've done it. And, and I think it gives us the, the credibility to talk about what makes sense, what works, what doesn't when it comes to transit-oriented development or multifamily tax exemptions or other such tools in this area. And then finally, uh, there is a question of sort of sustainable, flexible funding for local jurisdictions. You know, there are a number of issues related to that. Uh, you know, some in the transportation realm, like how do we do the new era we're gonna to have to make greater changes to come to grips with the, 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 the climate crisis. And what are the tools local government can use to help our community make that pivot? That's one of the critical things on the environmental side. And in terms of city fiscal health, same thing. One of the evergreens that we've had for many years here is this notion that the 1% property tax is, is unduly restrictive when population growth and inflation and stuff drive us at uh, costs up at a much greater rate. Deborah has an update on that and, and we'll cover that before we wrap up. 
The Washington State Tax Structure Work Group was formed in 2017, so they've been meeting for years about looking at the state's um, regressive tax structure. They had a meeting this morning, and at this meeting they voted on three of the different proposals that they've been talking about this year and whether or not they want to continue to discuss those and make an up or down vote at their next meeting on December 13th as to whether or not they're going to make a recommendation to the legislature to explore those. Um, two of the proposals are moving forward. The margin tax, which would replace the B&O tax, um, modeled somewhat after the Texas margin tax with a few tweaks. They're going to come back with more information in terms of which industries would be affected and how at the December meeting. Um, and they decided not to move forward with the wealth tax proposal. They had a few different options that they were looking at in terms of what the exemption amount would be and how that money could be used for the working family tax credit or for a new um, a primary residence property tax credit or renter's credit. So that one is not going to move forward. But they did decide to move forward um, to continue to discuss the property tax limit factor, the 1%. Their options were state only, state and local, or local only. And what they decided to do was to move forward the local only. Um, so the, the current co-chairs, um, Representative Frame, now Senator-elect Frame, and Senator Wagner um, agreed that they want to continue this discussion at the next meeting. So um, the Department of Revenue is going to go back and do some more modeling and bring them some more information about what the rate could be and how it could be phased in and what the, uh, what the cost would be to the state for something like that. So there's a, an AWC representative on the group as well as a county representative on the group and legislators and state agencies, the governor's office and Department of Revenue. So the December 13th meeting, they will make a decision as to whether or not they want to propose something to the legislature on the 1% limit. Yeah, and focusing solely on local government is great. They're, they're understanding the pain at the local level and not trying to scoop it up just for a state fix. So it's, it's nice to go, nice to see there. Um, so with that, I'll turn it back to you, Mr. Mayor. All right, thank you. Questions or comments? Uh, Councilman Roberts. Yeah, thank you, Mayor. Um, I know that the city of Yakima and I know other cities are really strongly pushing for a new civic community pool. And I'm not sure if that's going to be in their legislative agendas or not. But my sense is if the legislature, and since the legislature has in the past couple of years started funding aquatic centers, that I believe we should include and ask in this our um, priorities for funding for an aquatic center. This, again, especially if other cities are going to try to get money for an aquatic center, I think we need to be have asked for that as well. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you. Other questions or comments? On a couple of items this year, I would hoping we can be pretty nuanced in our support of the AWC's priorities. And the AWC, you described as a great organization. I would describe it as a necessary organization, but it, it embodies every jurisdiction in the state, some of whom have very different interests and very different ideologies from us. And I'm worried about two things on their a platform. One is Blake. I'm not sure this community wants to return to incarceration without the treatment component, um, which was sort of the old days. And I think there's going to be a big push to do something about 
drug issues. I think there's a real public disorder issue that we should do something about, but I'm not sure the AWC solution is gonna be what Shoreline wants. So I would encourage us to stay out of that a bit and to keep us posted on it. I personally have no problem departing from AWC if we believe they're not representing our values on a specific issue with due regard to the fact that they are an essential and you know, valuable organization. Second is on the housing incentives, not mandates thing. So that's, the GMA is not toothless, but it certainly is difficult to enforce. And we have pulled more than our weight in adopting density, way more than our weight. We have citizens telling us, we're over your growth targets, what are you thinking? And we're doing that for a reason. Some communities are not meeting their growth targets. And what AWC tends to promote is, don't tell us what to do, but if what you're doing is leaving everything single family and not promoting dense urban development, that means either Shoreline's gotta pick up the slack or the slack doesn't get picked up, and then we have all the urban sprawl housing affordability issues we have. So on that one especially, although incentives not mandates sounds good, what I think it's gonna translate as is, don't make us bear our fair share, and that is not in Shoreline's interest to, to get behind. Finally, on the, just the top issues, the tax stuff, yes. I mean, I note that we passed our levy lid lift, so I'm not sure we would want to put all of our eggs into the no 1% cap basket. I think we want that, but we do manage to get operational levies passed, so that's not our top priority. Affordable housing, state funding for that, sure seems to me like that is, and I think we're gonna be having a lot of conversations about how we get that 30% AMI and below built and at least in Shoreline and King County, I think the answer is government's gonna have to build it. And I don't see us passing a housing levy that does that alone. So I think getting, getting our ore into that water is probably, probably it's early, but I think that's probably a, a good use of good use effort. Any other comments? No, man, just wanna appreciate you on the housing uh, comment, just that, thank you. Thank you, and thank you, thank you for hurrying you along there. Uh, I really appreciate you coming up. Thank you. So this agenda will come back on the 28th. Uh, is it, uh, do, you, do you like it as is with the caveats, understanding that that will guide staff on execution? Do you need to see any changes to the agenda? Mayor, right now this is scheduled as a consent item, so I just would want to get Council's direction on that. Yeah, Councilman Roberts. Yeah, as I said, I'd like to see something about a pool aquatic center in the priorities. Um, right, so we can handle that one of two ways. That, that can, if council is generally okay with that as a priority, that can get baked in and it can come back on consent or it can come back as an action item. If there's, is there, is there any opposition to including pool funding? So, so can you turn, Mike? <laughs> I can't hear you. I know you can hear, but yeah, no one else can hear. Uh, your first option, which is to bake that in, as yes. you said, okay. and uh, put it on consent. That's, that's yours? Okay. Yeah. All right, any, any objections to that? All right, so with that addition, I think we're fine seeing it back in consent. All right, okay. thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Next up is action item, or sorry, study item 9B, which is a discussion of ordinance number 975, which is a comprehensive plan. One of the items on there is, the, is a quasi-judicial item. And so after you do your bit, now I'm gonna say a few words about what that means. And I think Mr. Saffron's- I'll try to be concise for you. Thank you, yeah. <laughs> You get diminishing returns, at least with me, you is that anything goes on? <laughs> <laughs> so thank you very much, Mayor and Council. It's back in person. First time in a long time. Um, so, let's see. 
So as you know, the city goes through an annual um, docketing process for uh, citywide comp comprehensive plan amendments. The GMA requires that we do this uh, no more than once a year. Um, and to ensure that the public uh, can see these all at one time, we create a docket or those lists of potential amendments um, to be studied. And um, I'll jump right into what those docketed amendments are. The first amendment being to amend the transportation element of the comprehensive plan and transportation um, master plan. So this will replace in wholesale the current transportation element um, with, a, with a new transportation element and remove the uh, transportation master plan as the supporting analysis for that transportation element. So the new uh, transportation element contains the overall transportation vi vision for the city, which will translate into transportation-related goals and policies, including policies related to climate resiliency and um, community vibrancy. So with that, I'd like to bring in our transportation services manager, Natasha Walters, to speak on the new transportation element. Thank you, Steve. And I also recognizing the time will be brief. I appreciate the opportunity to provide an overview of the transportation element or the TE. And we really have appreciated working with council and the planning commission, the public over the last two years to get to this point. And as I have presented all of this in Nor Daily Paying before, I will be brief. Um, I do want to note that uh, working with you, as I noted in the commission and, and through three outreach series, we've developed a pretty robust um, set of policies and plans, modal plans, and a uh, transportation project list. Um, and I'm going to be focusing on development of the modal plans and that uh, financially constrained project list. I have some highlights and a handful of slides. And also note that we'll be back next year because we are uh, will be for completing the transportation master plan, the TE being a key component of that. Um, and that the um, next year with budget approval, we'll be looking for um, some additional studies that we'll be doing, street topologies, concurrency, and porosity um, in the next year. Next slide. So the modal plans are something that we got a lot of really good input from council as well as from the public. Um, and these are our traffic level of service and, and in review we've got one for the higher density um, areas that's accepting a lower level of service. The bike plan recognizes a um, experience that we want for our um, community members to have. So there's a bike level of service as part of that. Our transit plan input from the public as well as working with uh, our transit agencies to develop that plan. Pedestrian plan has existing sidewalks and incorporates the sidewalk prioritization plan and a new plan, the shared use mobility plan. And I think there was, um, just to note, that is our giving the opportunity for e-bikes and e-scooters and EV charging, um, encouraging people to get out of their car, look for another option to move around the city as well as the region. All of those together are our integrated layered modal improvement plan. And that was what was used to develop as I noted before, our financially constrained project list ultimately, we came up with, a, um, developed a list of projects for investment, prioritized projects, lists from that integrated modal plan. Next slide. To create that prioritized list, we needed to do an evaluation process. And we've heard a lot tonight about safety. We know council is, uh, that recognizes the importance of equity. Um, those metrics as well as multimodality, connectivity, and climate resiliency 
uh, all a part of that also support climate uh, resiliency, I should say, but um, encouraging other modal options besides driving your car, recognizing the connectivity of the system if you're biking or trying to take transit, um, where you're trying to go, um, how close you are to a bus stop, for example. Um, connectivity also proximity to schools, uh, climate resiliency has a number of metrics that go beyond that in terms of uh, we do have urban heat island, for example, as one of those components and community vibrancy. All of those things we utilize to help us rank our projects and come up with a project list. Next slide. And that uh, project list, we looked at uh, the revenue that we've had over the last five years and projected it out to 2044. Um, to come up with our estimated revenue. And we looked at what projects we've already committed to, the sidewalk um, projects, um, concurrency requirements, federalized projects that we need to get done. We're all part of the list that came up to about 160 million-ish. I say ish because that's the estimate that we have. Um, and then we have the ability to, put, to look at some additional projects and we presented before um, five additional projects we could consider, 175th um, extension beyond what we currently have for the 175th quarter study, the 185th uh, quarter strategy, which is something that we've developed for that light rail sub-area, um, the east side corridor bike network, which connects to the 148th non-motorized bridge, and then over to the Burt Gillen ultimately, six shared use mobility hubs, and I just highlighted that as one of our uh, new modal plans, and then the Third Avenue connectors. Um, again, this is something we presented to you before. And those are the projects that are uh, make up our financially constrained plan, which is one of the key elements of the transportation element of the comp plan. And I will leave it there given um, the time and um, I, as this is a summary for you all. Any questions? Let's, let's move through them. Okay. So, um, so we'll, we'll, I apologize. We'll okay. get to questions. I just rather get through them and then we'll okay. come back. Yeah, I wasn't trying to. Yeah. Okay. So continuing on, amendment number two is isn't an actual amendment, but more of an impl implementation schedule of the uh, 2024 comprehensive plan major update. Um, as staff knows, this was, or as council knows that this was before you uh, last week uh, for the comprehensive plan update scope. Um, that was approved through resolution 502. Um, so staff going forward will be adding specific elements to the comprehensive plan once that work is uh, done and it um, can go back through council for review and approval. Um, amendment three, this was a request to, um, to change the land use designation and uh, zoning of the King County Metro Park and Ride site this would change the land use map from public facilities to mixed use one, and then uh, change a portion of the site that's zone R18 to mixed business to make the entire parcel uh, mixed business to facilitate a future uh, TOD uh, project on the site. And that, that TOD feasibility study is included in your staff report. Uh, amendment number four is a privately initiated amendment to add a new land use um, policy, which at the time was housing development and preservation of significant trees can coexist with the goal of maintaining and increasing shoreline's urban tree canopy. Um, staff worked with the applicant to refine the language and the planning commission ended up 
recommending the language on your screen um, to add a new land use policy that would read development reg develop regulations to maintain and increase shoreline's urban tree canopy with the goal of encouraging tree retention and protection while also increasing housing opportunities and choice. Um, uh, amendment, amendment number five was proposed by um, council to amend the land use element to explicitly allow duplexes and triplexes. Uh, the commission did end up uh, recommending that this work be carried over and incorporated as part of the 2024 major update of the comprehensive plan so we have adequate time. Uh, we've hired a consultant to, to come up with a public outreach plan or is developing a public outreach plan for this type of work since um, it's going to expect it to take some more time and thought when we go forward. Um, and the last amendment is um, changing two parcels on the comprehensive plan land use map uh, from public facility to public open space for some uh, two parcels around the Richmond Beach Saltwater Park. Um, as shown on the map here, this uh, parcel would uh, is proposed to change from public facility to public open space. Um, the parcels shown on the map are, are currently public open space. The, the parcel outlined in black to the west is currently not on the city's map. So this would be included in the city's map shown as public open space. And those are those areas uh, within the beach and uh, tidelands of the park. So those would be shown um, as public open space on our maps, which are currently not shown. So um, there's no action tonight, but the commission did recommend approval of amendments one, four, and six. And then amendment number five was recommended be carried over as part of the 2024 comprehensive plan, plan major update. And then amendment number three was uh, recommended uh, for approval by the hearing examiner. All right, we need to talk about the quasi-judicial action. Do you have a slide for that? I do not. Aha, there we go. All right, so a quasi-judicial proceeding, we are required to make a decision based upon the record as developed without any ex parte contacts. So what we have to do now is disclose whether you've received one, and this is only, correct me if I'm wrong, Ms. King, but this is only item three, which is the rezone, correct? Okay, so this is only on item three. So there's a series of questions up here that all of us should skim through. We also needed to, in addition to seeing if we have an actual conflict, we also need to disclose if we've had an ex parte contact, which can be an email from a constituent about this issue, be a phone call, it can be seeing someone on the street and saying, hey, can I talk to you about? That doesn't preclude you from taking action on it, but you do need to disclose if you have those. So take a look at these. If anyone believes they cannot fairly decide based upon the record as presented, please just let us know and you will be recused. You will recuse yourself. Um, and please disclose any ex parte contacts you have. Councilmember? Yeah, I just uh, received an email from Mr. McCormick regarding this uh, um, amendment, um, and, it and he uh, described his objections to it. So, All right. but I don't, I don't feel like it, 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 um, it doesn't uh, affect my impartiality, though. Okay, and that, that's the same email we all received? Right. Okay, yeah, thank you. All right. Any other disclosures? Uh, Councilmember Roberts. Thank you. Uh, Mayor, are you disclosing that we all received the same email? That's what Councilmember Ramsdell just did. Uh, so, uh, I've received that email and I do not believe that it affects my um, impartiality on this matter. All right, and, and we probably should all do that. I, I similarly do not believe that email will affect my impartiality. Deputy Mayor? Thank you, Mayor. I do not believe that email will affect my impartiality on this matter. Councilmember Mark? 
I do not believe that email will affect my partiality. I do not believe that that email will affect me, my decision. And finally, the same. All Thank right. you. I wanted to see who would vary that a little yeah. bit, just to keep it interesting. All right, so that said, this is a discussion item, and we are free to discuss or ask questions on any item. Council Member Moore. Uh, I received another email, oh. which I did not read, <laughs> that requested to discuss this. Okay. So I don't believe it will affect my partiality, but I did receive one. Thank you. Any other disclosures? I apologize. No. Okay. So now we're on discussion on all the proposed amendments, either questions or, or uh, discussion. Councilmember Povey. Amendment number five. It says amend the land use element to, you know, I thought that was to allow uh, uh, study more research, but here it reads that to allow it, I see if we've gone through the process. I think that's different. Am I getting it right? Yeah. You're right. It was docketed as um, allow. So the, the language on the screen was the actual docketed am amendment. And then um, so that was so that was um, part of us going forward to study the amendment. So um, I don't believe the original language said to study it. It was to allow those. I haven't seen any language aside this, and I, I was thinking through and just recollecting, but the discussions we've, we've had around is to study it. Maybe I'm just dwelling Reese. so much on the text, but to allow is different from to, you know, uh, partake in an activity before. Right, uh, and I think forward. it's kind of evolved into us to um, kind of step back and then study that as part of the um, ongoing comprehensive plan. I, I ask this because of the relationship it has with the grant coming from uh is it commerce i think and so if we we need to synchronize this pretty well okay so, Ms. thank you I, I maybe i'm misunderstanding but my understanding was that the recommendation is to place it on the docket for um for analysis but that doesn't mean that you're approving it. Right. It's still a comprehensive plan proposal that still has to be studied and then still would have to be voted on. Does that help clarify? That's or, helpful. Did I not get that right, Mayor? No, I think that's right. I'm just also looking at the, the Planning Commission recommendation, <clears throat> which is that it be carried over. Can you explain the difference between carrying it over to the 2023-24 docket as opposed to placing it on? So I'm not understanding that distinction. I, I believe what they're saying is that instead of acting upon it um, and within 2023 that, or 2022, obviously it's too late now, but that they would be carried on to the docket for consideration ultimately in 2024 with study in 2023 is how I understand it. Okay, that. all right. So, so ra rather than being scheduled for a vote in next, I guess it would be December, we would be looking at a vote the year following that. Correct, with, okay. with, the, with, with, with the comprehensive, the full, with the up, full analysis update. of the comprehensive plan. All right. So it would be studied. Councilmember McConnell. So for final clarification, I get that part of it, but we are also still having a vote a year from now on whatever the study gave us to support it or not to support it. Correct. So next year we're spending this study time. So even now we're not authorizing a thumbs up or down on the direction. It's really a pretty broad study. And then the second part of it, the, the grant is really not tied into whether we have to accept 
the final conclusion. Correct. Right. That's right. That's correct. And I think I had talked to one or two council members, and that was great question for clarification to us, but also to the public, to know that we are not um, moving in a solid direction one way or another. We're just allowing the study to happen because it didn't happen. Correct. That's right. Yeah. And thank God it's a study instead of it, just it's a, a study to yeah. come up pro, pro, proposed goals and policy. Yeah, because it's a pretty mean that we have to adopt those important thing to study instead right. of just it's to have just some, a lot of background information yeah. for council to decide when the and we appreciate major update comes we appreciate you. that that's going to happen yeah. <laughs> with public input. <laughs> thank More you. information is always better. Than thank you. Further questions or comments on any of the amendments? Councilmember McConnell. I don't know. Is this a good time to suggest that we put this on consent because uh, what you know the amendments are cut and dry or not? I saw a little can, no. Can we do it on consent? I, I would not recommend. You would not. Recommend. Okay, recommend. and that's. I don't think we ever have. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's yeah. a few for sure, but yeah. it seemed like there, I didn't hear a lot of objection. But in uh, the event that there's an appeal, it's always better to have a clear understanding of what was approved well, and what might not have been and what the yeah. vote was. And I'm glad I asked that question. So I remove that question. <laughs> right. And, and I mean, I don't, given that there's not a ton of questions, I think we'll move quickly through them. But my memory of how we usually do this is we go amendment by amendment, right? I mean, if we have 30 of them, it's different. But with just six, we can just do up or down on each one. That's correct. Or, okay. Other questions? No? Councilmember uh, Roberts. <laughs> Thank you, Mayor. I believe, uh, this is a question for the city attorney, I believe that we just adopt the docket as proposed. There's not separate amendments on each of these if, six. If the docket does not include item number three, um, but I believe that you have a site-specific rezone also in there, so don't you need to make a decision separate upon that for purposes of the combined comp plan plus site specific rezone? You're looking at me like I know. I'm sorry, I don't know the answer to that question. <laughs> you know, we don't do a lot of these, but I guess again, for the purposes of that, that could be a separate item that someone might want to address. I think if, okay, we should. if you wanted to do the rest yeah. as a docket and then just also do that as an additional docket, that would... Council, council. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that goes to my sort of other question with this is that is it we can only amend the docket or the comprehensive plan once per year, or if we have two separate votes to amend the comprehensive plan, is that two separate amendments to the comprehensive plan? Have we had a vote on it? Prior. I, I think he's just, I, I'm, I'm confident in the answer to that one. He's asking whether we can split out particular amendments in separate votes and have that be more than one change to the comprehensive plan. I'm confident the answer to that is no. I mean, yeah. it's one round. Right. But we don't, we don't have to say yes to everything. Right? It's one ordinance, yeah. It's not, we don't have to say yes to everything or no to everything. We can pull out. You could even do two separate motions and then a final, yeah. which would be one, one final decision. But I think that's a, that was a good point. To, to raise and that yes you are limited to your one amendment unless you have change conditions or that you have a ruling that you need to make yeah. an adjustment yeah. so even if we pull out a, a, the, a particular item we still this it's still within one ordinance 
Right. I mean, it's 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 sub. I, I think now we're we're oh, weighing weeds, but I, I think what we usually we usually do is we move to amend the docket, and then we go through the amendments one by one, and I think we could do it as a slate if if you know someone wants to you know do one in, one through two or whatever we can do that. But the ultimate main vote is on the docket as amended or as originally proposed. So it's only one vote. Because that gives the opportunity for individual council members to make motions and right. adjustments. Correct. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Further questions? No? All right, thank you. We are adjourned. Thank you.